the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I'll get there under my own steam. God helps those who help themselves. We're going to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Yeah, these and other myths shattered next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. We tend to think we can get to God in our own strength, by our own means, if I'm just good enough. And we'll even point to other people and say, see, not as bad as them. But at the end of the day, there's only one righteousness that God will accept. And it's not yours or mine. It's Jesus's. Imputed righteousness is the title of today's message. Welcome to the program. We're in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. As we explore this imputed righteousness and what that actually means, $3 theological word that means eternal life for you and I, if understood properly, here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. We stand with Abraham on Mount Moriah today. We stand with Abraham on the plains of Mamre today where God gave him these promises. Do you want to be right with me? Then believe my promise that I will do for you in Jesus, my son, what you cannot do for yourself. If you're going to have it, you've got to turn away from trust and self and cling to God's promise of grace in Jesus Christ. Then, like Abraham, our faith will be reckoned to us for righteousness because we we no longer look to ourselves but away because we confess, I am ungodly. I have nothing which which to gain God's favor or merit. Like the publican that Jesus identified, I beat my breast and say, my only hope is for God to be merciful to me through his son. And beloved, he will be merciful. Look at the holiness of God today, sinner. Think of your life. Go into some of the dark corners you don't want to go into anymore. Maybe the passage of time has kind of dulled your filthiness to you. But you see, God has a long-term memory when it comes to the ways we have offended his majesty. They are either there or they have been blotted out by him entirely. Those sins that you and I have committed that are a grief to us now, that that are an embarrassment, that we would rather lose fingers, toes, perhaps even arms and legs rather than anyone else know about them. The passage of time, the memory goes dim. And we know they're there, but, you know, we've just kind of forgotten it. So it looks like maybe I'll escape free. But they are as fresh before the majesty of God as if you had just committed them five seconds ago unless you look to the Lamb of God who was crucified for our sins, unless you look to His obedience, His empty tomb, His cross, the throne of grace through Him. Look there. Look, there's Jesus in those places. 
the Son of God, and in Him God's grace has appeared. Titus 2.11, the grace of God has appeared in Jesus Christ. John 1.16, of His fullness have we all received grace upon grace, but only in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, if we look to Him, we are admitting our corruption. When we look to Jesus Christ as our cleansing and righteousness, there is an implicit recognition. I cannot save myself, not one bit. I don't have anything to bring before God, nothing. I'm also forever denying that I have any right to boast in anything but in Jesus Christ, for He alone is my Savior. And I trust His righteousness, not self, not flesh, not works, not ceremonies, not personal goodness, nothing. But I'm going to look to Him, and He must increase, but I must decrease. And that's okay, for He's fairer than 10,000. He is loveliness itself. God's law was in His heart. Not one of His steps ever slid. But in my heart, there's nothing but filth. He obeyed unto death, even to the shedding of blood. But the slightest breeze of temptation comes, and I lose it, and I give in, and I fall again. I turn away from God at the smallest inclination. So I must look to Jesus Christ as the Lord of my righteousness. (coughs) I must look to God's grace, God loving the unlovable. God justifying and forgiving his inexcusable enemies. No, I don't want God to owe me anything. The only thing God could ever owe this sinner is stripes in hell forever. But he laid his stripes upon his son, and by those stripes we are healed. Now in verses 6 through 8, this is almost a doxology at this point, a praise to God. David is brought forth to confirm what the Holy Spirit has said about Abraham, and especially since these lines are taken from Psalm 32, the word which appears there three times in these lines is blessed. What does the word blessed mean? Well, we could actually translate it happy if it wasn't for the silliness that is happiness in American culture today. But it is a pure idea. Something that is solid, something that is beautiful, that brings joy to the creature. I would even go a little bit further. Blessed in Scripture is being regarded by God with favor. It is like what Luther used to say, when God smiles at me, you see his friendly side. It is heaven's approbation, enduring personal joy. Now listen, who is this blessed man? Is it the man who works, verse 4? Or is it the man who believes, verse 5? Is it the man who says, I'm going to earn some brownie points with God. I'm I'm going to follow some ceremonies. I'm, I'm going to get baptized eight times and hope that at least one of them catches. Or is it the man who believes and looks away from himself and says, I have nothing but filth. My only hope is that God will have mercy upon me and his son. God tells us in verse 6, who is blessed? He says, the only ones who are blessed are those whom God imputed righteousness without works. In other words, when God takes the righteousness of his son and he imputes it to me and credits it to me so that what was not mine becomes mine through Jesus and faith in him. That is what imputation means. It's one of the most blessed words in the gospel, although very few people in the church today can even define it. 
I don't want anyone here today to leave without understanding what a blessing it is for God to impute or not to impute, depending on which side you're looking on. For God to impute means that he takes what is not ours, righteousness, a righteousness that will stand before his holiness, and he gives it to us. That is not a holiness like most Americans think. You know, he was a good person, so let's write something nice on his tombstone. This is a holiness that God himself says, this is like me. I see myself in you. I see my own image restored in that man. There is only one way for us to get righteousness like that. And that is for God to take what his son did in our place as our substitute and our mediator. And then take his son's obedience and lay it upon us. He is our covenant head. And he went with, and how he went with him, his obedience and his faithfulness, all of that becomes mine. All of that becomes yours through faith in the promise of God. And what's more, all my sins, all my filth, it's imputed to him. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. One of the best gospel verses in all the New Testament, right up there with John 3.16. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For may he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For he made him, that is Christ, to be sin for us, even though he was holy and harmless and undefiled. He laid all of our filth upon his son who knew no sin, that we who were filthy might be made righteousness of God in him. And God says those, who are, those are the only ones who are happy and blessed. Those to whom I imputed the righteousness of my son. Understand, beloved, that God has to declare that we are blessed or we are not, no matter what we say about ourselves. And do you want to boil down all of the misery in this world and this culture? Well, it is caused by men pretending to be happy or blessed when God says they are not. Pursuing all kinds of ways to be blessed and to be happy when God says you can forget it. Because I have not declared that you are blessed. And what is it to be blessed? What is it for God to look at your life, you, and say that man is blessed, that woman is blessed, that young person is blessed? It is for him to say, you are now in a right standing with me. You are reconciled to me. You are at peace with me through my son. And our works are not included in that, obviously. Now, imputation. The use of the word there in verse 6 and again in verse 8 takes away our works entirely. God gives us a blessedness that we cannot mount up to. I can't do enough stuff to attain it. He has to give it. And he also has to deal with our sins. Verse 7, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and his sins are covered. This is kind of a fatal flaw for all kinds of cults. Because let's say, I'm converted this evening to the cult of corner fruit sellers. So now I've got a new life. I sell fruit on the street corner. I go to their meetings and I rally around my leader. But what do I do then with all my filth from the past? I can't do anything about 
the filth. You see, there is this fundamental thing that we as fallen sinners have drunk deeply of this, this poison. If I can just turn over a new leaf, the past will then all be forgotten. If I can just go to an AA and stop drinking so much, it will be forgotten that I used to drink too much because after all, I am a self-resurrector. I can change myself. I can turn over a new leaf. We live in God's world, beloved. This isn't a Disney movie. It's not like if I undo the spell, everything in past just goes away. No, I've got all these sins, and I have offended God's majesty and His holiness. But notice what blessedness is. Blessedness is when God says they are all forgiven. And how can our works ever enter into the idea of being forgiven? Forgiven means God against whom you have sinned, against whom you have sinned terribly, considers those sins to be blotted out. He says, I remove them. It is as if before my justice you have never, never, never sinned. I lay them on my son and pay the whole debt. He bore the chastisement of our peace and the stripes that we deserve. His father laid them upon him so that we would be healed and that our sins would not be imputed to us. So what is blessedness? What is happiness? What is joy unspeakable and full of glory? Where does it begin? It begins when God imputes righteousness to us from outside of us. Because it is not ours. It's not my obedience. It is Christ's. It is when God lays our sins on the back of his son and beats him with his holy justice. And his sword of justice strikes him down rather than striking us down David said, that is the blessed man, the man who believes this gospel. Beloved, breathe this free air for just a moment with me. Breathe it deeply before we close. David wrote Psalm 32 at the same time he wrote Psalm 51, and they are very connected. Let's turn back and read just a few verses from Psalm 32. This psalm flowed from David's season of repentance after his adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband, Uriah. Now, David was a man after God's own heart. Remember that. But notice here, in light of this sin, he didn't think anything of it. Now, he might have for a while. Look at verse, verses 2 through 4. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Those are the lines Paul quotes in Romans 4. He says, When I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my groaning all the day, for day and night. Thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. David, for a time, perhaps, thought that God will overlook these indiscretions. Because after all, I am a man after his own heart. I have fought many battles to victory. But God's holiness and the brilliance of his justice and the wonders of his mercy entered David's sin-darkened heart during this time. And he saw what he really was, an undeserving sinner, a sinner deserving God's displeasure. And what did he do? 
He looked to God's promise, verse 5, I have acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. David looked away from himself. He looked away from the, what the women used to sing about him. He looked away from what later writers would say about him, being a man after God's own heart. And he sought one blessing only, the promise that God would not lay these sins to his charge, but he would lay them on the back of his greater son. Is that your plea, sinner? It better be your plea before you die. Or you will go to hell. Seeing yourselves as sinners, we make one plea. Father, please do not lay these sins that I have committed on me. Oh, they are mine. I am ungodly. But please lay them upon your son's obedience in my place of my disobedience. His blood for my cleansing. Oh, I am an unclean thing. And notice what happens to us. No matter how long we've believed the gospel... We are still to keep coming back to this over and over and over again. Verse 6. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Now we would have felt better if David had said, For this shall everyone that is a homosexual or a lesbian or a democrat unto you in time when you may be found. But that's not what he says. He says this is what godly people say those who are struck by the majesty of god in their own sinfulness before him brothers and sisters may the gospel for us not be a one-time band-aid may it be for us lifelong medicine for it is the water of life our savior promised to us and if we drink of him the water he gives we will be he will be a well of life to us singing up into everlasting sorry springing up into everlasting salvation and then when we are praying for this verse 7 we can trust god to be our hiding place he will preserve me from trouble verse 8 he will teach us the way we should go in fact the more humbled we are by our sins the last part of the verse i will guide you with my eyes seeing what we are sinners and we need god to guide us just a look for him in his word and by his spirit he will show us the way we are supposed to go so note verse 9 let's not be mules that's what my mom used to say to me when i was a teenager stop being such a stubborn mule but really that's how we all are until the holy spirit comes and seduces us he says here in effect your only happiness is in being right with God. And then you can count upon him to lead you and provide for you and to protect you. Is that us? And then notice the conclusion, verse, first, um, verse 11. To be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous. Is that you? When was the last time you shouted with joy? Besides when your sports team won. Or besides when you scratched off those five lucky numbers and you want a free soda. When was the last time you shouted for joy? Where does it come from? Well, I'm going to really keep my nose to the grindstone. You know, I'm trying to get plenty of good performance in. I'm trying to get enough of those fuzzy feelings in. 
No, it doesn't come from that, of course. Shouting for joy, a sense of being glad in the Lord doesn't come from within us. The source of that is not here. The source of that is out there of what God has done for us in Christ, that he has forgiven our sins. How can you not shout for joy? Think of your sins, beloved. You might be saying, well, I don't have any, many anyway. Think again. Think of your sins. And then for God to say, I laid them all up on my son. Think of the day you will stand before the majesty of God. What will avail you in that hour? Nothing. Not your connections. Not that you listened to sermons upon sermons. Not that you were Presbyterian. Not that you were a conservative. Not that you had a godly husband or a godly wife. Or that you had bookshelves full of reformed books. None of that will do you any good in that hour. There is only one thing that will help you. And that is if you look like Abraham and believe the promise of God. And you take refuge in the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. Then when you believe that beloved. The rest of the blessings of this psalm will come to you. Trust in God knowing that no trouble ever happens to the righteous because everything God works it together for good and he preserves us from the evil of this life and he gives us joy. Many sorrows, verse 10, shall be to the wicked, but he that trusts in the Lord mercy shall encompass him about. Mercy, hesed in Hebrew. Do you believe God's promise? Then guess what surrounds you? Hesed, God's covenant love and unbreakable loyalty. Psalm 23, 6, surely goodness and hesed shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Is it because I'm a good person? No, it is because he is a good savior and a merciful God. When I look to him like Abraham did. And turn away from myself and believe his word. The well of salvation is opened up to me through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not my worth. It is his. He has taken upon himself the full responsibility of our salvation. He has loved us in our filth. And has blotted out all of our sins. And has declared us then to be righteous. What a great God. What witness are we giving to the world to this gospel? Some say, well, in my family, we have certain ideas and do certain things, and we hold to them very strongly. In my family, these issues are, are important to us. These are our mottos. Now, all these things may have a place, but they will not give you joy, and they won't give you strength to be faithful to what God has called us to do in his word. Where does that come from? Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven to whom God does not impute them, and to whom he imputes his righteousness. Beloved, think about what Jesus Christ has done for you just this last week. Keep your eye on God's mercy in Christ, and watch joy start coming back to you and welling up. It's kind of like a, a warmth that comes into your limbs when you've been out in the cold. There's a lot of cold places our souls can go to. The world... It's filth, our sense of worthiness, our own issues that we're concerned with. 
We can go a lot of cold, to a lot of cold places where we cannot find any warmth in. But when we come back and we abide in Christ and we keep eye and eye on what our Savior has done for us and we believe the promises of God and He starts rubbing our hearts and He says, I am your joy. The only solid happiness in this world is a man or a woman or a young person who is deeply humbled by God has forgiven me and says, I will always love him. I want to shout with joy because I am forgiven. I am righteous before the holy God. And no one, no one can pluck that out of his hand because he has joined me to his son. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866. 8665607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.